Today we're going to be in Acts 8, if you want to turn your Bibles over there. We are continuing a series in Acts called Church on Fire, which we're looking at how spirit-empowered people of God took the good news of Jesus and spread it to the world. And today we're talking about something really important that doesn't really get a ton of airtime. But before I go there, let me take you back to College Kyle for a second. And this is, this is not freshman version College Kyle. <laughs> this is senior version, so I've matured some at least. But in this point, um, I am following two dates with this really beautiful, amazing woman. She happens to be right there. And it was awesome. Things were going great. And then out of nowhere, I get hit with a, I would say a partial friend zone. So she says, I'm just not ready to date right now. That's friend zone, Kyle. But she said, I'm not like totally closing the door, basically. So I have two paths in front of me. I can move forward and be like, yep, it's over. She friend zoned me. Or I can be like, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> and I definitely went with that one. <laughs> so one of the things that Harding partners with is a charity fundraiser called Relay for Life, which is all about cancer research. And there's this big Relay for Life night at Harding that goes into the late AM where they try to raise a lot of money, which is a great and noble thing, right? But whenever I was presented with an opportunity to help serve, I was like, nah, <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't want to stay up late in the cold darkness and, and do something like this, which shows you a little bit into my heart at that time. Um, but I did hear that Abby needed help with her booth, and she was going to be gone for a few hours and needed someone to sit there, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do it, sure, I'm, I'll be there right now. And so I'm sitting at her booth, and I have people come by, and they're thanking me, like, wow, thank you for volunteering your time to do this at, in the late hours, it's so great. And Abby's friends would come by and take note, and I would just bask in all of it, like, they're recognizing, they're seeing. And then, and I, that actually ended up being a night <laughs> that uh, kind of helped move her more towards liking me, so that was great. <laughs> um, thank you, Jesus. But, but very clearly, <laughs> in this situation, I had a pretty mixed motive. I was not solely there for cancer research, that was a bonus, that was awesome that that was happening. But really, I was there to try to win over the heart of this one. And praise God that that worked. But I really did not have a pure motive. And I, I think we oftentimes do that. We choose to do something that to onlookers, it may be like, wow, they're doing this great and noble and righteous thing. But really we have a mixed motive that's kind of perhaps selfish in the background. So maybe that might be, yeah, I'd love to go to all these school events or youth events because I know there are some cute girls there. Or maybe you start building a friendship with a powerful person so one day you can maybe cash that in and ask for a favor for them at some point. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'd love to help with this charity or organization because it would give my business really good PR. Or maybe as you're talking to a friend and you share concern for someone else, maybe it's not truly out of concern for that person but trying to stir up a little bit of gossip. We can do things that may seem good on the surface, but for the totally wrong motive. And modern psychologists have given a name to 
a phenomenon called psychological egoism, which is the idea that all humans are always motivated by self-interest. So even the kindest, most noble deeds that you can do, helping the homeless, serving in soup kitchens, right? Deep down behind all that, what this is arguing is that really there's a selfish motive. That could be, oh, to make myself feel better. That could be if you're trying to help a friend move, hoping one day that they will return the favor. That could be any, any kind of thing that is self-benefiting, but it has the guise of we're just trying to help people. And this raises the question, is there such a thing as a truly selfless act of kindness? That there is no selfish interest or no selfish, selfish motive behind it. And also, are our motivations even really that important <laughs> if we're still doing good things in the first place? I think those are good questions and we're going to dig into that today. So we're going to start in Acts 8, verse 9. It says, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Okay, so we're reading about a guy named Simon who's basically a wizard. And sorcery was a common practice in the ancient times, and it is still in many places in today's world, uh, particularly not in Western culture. But for instance, whenever I was living in Mozambique, I remember we would drive past houses of witch doctors all the time. And these are people who have incredible power and influence over the people there. Um, and really, outside of Western culture, there is a big belief that there is the spiritual in existence. And I think we can learn from that a little bit. But in ancient times, it was common as well for these people to be in a little bit more places of power or attention. So one of the Greek words for sorcery in scripture is pharmakeia, which upon hearing that, you may think of the word pharmacy. And part of why that is is because sorcery at that time was oftentimes associated with drugs. Uh, that could be like an antidote to something, or it could be giving them some kind of like hallucinogen to give them some sort of experience. But sorcerers would often partake in divination, fortune telling, and, and these great displays of power as I guess Simon was doing. And whether that's like a magic trick or something legitimate is happening there, which I would say scripture kind of leans more to that side, that there are other powers in the world that are opposed to God and can be really destructive, which is why scripture is unequivocally against witchcraft and sorcery. But how Simon got into this or what specifically he was doing, we don't know. But we do know that Simon did have some very serious pride as he would boast about himself being great. And it doesn't help that, uh, doesn't help the ego too much that people are following him and calling him the great power of God. <laughs> but then in verse 12 we read, but when they believed Philip as, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he had followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Philip arrives and people are getting baptized. 
And I love the detail of Philip following him everywhere. It seems like he is really interested in Philip's ability to do all these miraculous things. Maybe wanting that for himself, and we'll see a little bit more of that in a second. In verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we talked about this passage a couple weeks ago about salvation being a mystery. So they hear that these people are baptized and they send Peter and John to lay hands on them to receive the Spirit. And that catches Simon's eye. When Simon saw that the Spirit had been given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So now we finally start to hear Simon's motive or his interest upon following Philip and seeing all of this happen. He is wanting to get that power for himself, maybe to add to his magical repertoire. And he tries to pay for that ability. But Peter rebukes him sternly. We read this in verse 20. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Ouch. That's a little harsh from Peter, but it shows the importance that Peter sees and that salvation is a free gift. This is not something that you pay for, right? This is available for everybody. And then you see some of the motive of Peter's rebuke here in 21. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Peter doesn't really pull punches very much in all throughout the Bible. Uh, but he had bitterness and, and some envy that the apostles were doing this and he was not able to and he wanted that ability. And then in 24... It ends by Simon answering, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. I really want to hone in on verse 21 and 22 because I, I think that says something really important for us. Peter says, you have no part in this ministry. Why? Because your heart is not right before God. In other words, you have a bad motive for wanting this gift. We might think it's not so bad to want the ability to give other people the Holy Spirit. Like, that seems like a good thing, right? But it was bad enough that Peter rebuked this guy and called him to repent. And we see from this story that our motivation for wanting to do good kingdom things, it matters. It's not something that we don't pay attention to. Because simply going through the motions of a good thing doesn't necessarily mean that that thing is fully good. And I think we see this in Jesus very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he really takes aim at this. A lot of the sins that people are basing their morality off of, murder, adultery, that sort of thing, he takes everything a step further. He takes it into our hearts. You've heard it said, don't murder one another, right? But I say, don't even be angry with someone. He's looking at our heart our intent, our desire. Don't commit adultery. <laughs> That's what you heard. But I say to you, don't even look at somebody else lustfully. He's taking it into our hearts and our desires. Don't practice your righteousness before other people that they may see it. 
Don't let your left hand know what your right one is doing, right? He's, he's getting at the motivation that we might have to win other people's approval, to get attention for ourselves. Jesus is looking directly at our hearts. He's looking at the root of this stuff. And to double down on that near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is talking about, because I, mean, I would say casting out demons, like, that's good. <laughs> miracles, I mean, I feel like those aren't necessarily bad if it's in the name of Jesus. But there's something that's off in these people that Jesus is talking about in verse 7. Maybe their heart isn't fully in it. Maybe they're not doing it for the sake of the gospel and for the kingdom, but they're doing it for their own recognition. I kind of think the kind of person that Jesus is talking about is Simon in this story in Acts 8. And luckily because of Peter and his bold call to repent, that gave Simon an opportunity to hear that and be like, yeah, maybe I should turn. Maybe I should repent from this. I'll tell you, this story is so convicting to me right now. It's an important wake-up call for me to look at my own motivations, to look into my own heart and ask myself, why? Why am I in ministry? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my motive for doing what I'm doing? Am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for attention of other people? Or am I doing this because I love Jesus more than everything and I love people enough to want to have them know about Jesus as well. On my best days, I'd say it's definitely that one. But it's so easy for ministers and all of us, all Christians who do the work of God, to kind of lose their way with this. That we get so wrapped up, perhaps, in our image or attention or a brand or something that we build for ourselves that we forget our first love. And this is fresh on my mind, too, because I've, <laughs> I've watched a slew of church documentaries or listening to a podcast that talks about the downfall of really big, successful pastors who their name and their image get brought up so much in lights, and then it's more about them than it is about Jesus. And I just pray that that is never me. I, I, <laughs> I'm terrified of that ever becoming me, and I, I pray that that's not the case. And in watching these, it made me think of Philippians 1. In verse 15, Paul says this, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Doing so out of love. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I will rejoice. That last part is something that gives me a slight breath of fresh air, that even with broken vessels, if you're preaching the gospel, if someone is saying the good news of Jesus, God has potential to work powerfully in that. But at the same time, I read that about people preaching for their own selfish ambition, and it scares me. And I pray that that is never me. And even, <laughs> let me take you into a window into Kyle's soul. Even as I was writing this, I was fighting my motivation as to whether I should say this to you or not. 
Because if I say this, maybe it's like, oh, maybe people will trust me more. Maybe people will like me more. It's like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> but, but in doing this, and I, I prayed, I'm like, okay, God, good motivation, good motivation, good motivation. And I think I got there. But I'm praying today for God to perform heart surgery on me. To cut out all the parts of my motives in my heart that are for selfish gain. And I hope that we as a church can be on this journey of seeking better motives or having a better heart together. This morning, let's ask God to truly reveal what our motives are behind our decisions. We need, we need to ask ourselves why. Why are we coming to church? Why are we here today? Are, are we here today because we love God so much and we can't help but be here? Are we here today because we love our church family so much that we just want to serve and help and encourage them as best as we can? Or are we here for something we're going to get out of it? Are we here because it's an obligation or a habit? Are we here because our family member makes us be here? Why are we here today? Are we here to get more stamps on our ticket into heaven so hopefully God's going to let us in when we give it to him? I think it's important for us to ask about our motivations all the time, not just for church, but for our jobs and our families, the mundane, routine things of life. Where is our heart at? Because out of the overflow of our heart come our words and our actions. So we got to make sure that what's inside of us, our motives are pure. So whenever we work on our hearts, or more accurately as God works on our hearts, the more that we're going to be like Jesus, and the more that the world around us will change. So this is an extremely serious matter. We need to get our hearts right. So this raises the question, what should be our motivation then? Why should we do what we do? I think Jesus tells us in the greatest commands, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That should be the fundamental thing that is driving us. We need to be completely about love. And one thing that we learn from 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, right, is love is not self-seeking. We need our motives to be fully about loving God and loving other people. And I want to issue a couple grains of salt here, okay? From some things that I've said, I don't want you to mishear me. The first thing is the motive of becoming a healthier Jesus-like person is not bad, <laughs> okay? So that is a kind of self-care or a self-interest that I think is a good thing to have. And also love your neighbor as yourself implies a level of self-care in a good way, that you're taking care of yourself well so that you can love your neighbor well. And this is why we see Jesus oftentimes go away and spend time alone and recharge his battery and spend time with the Father, right, and grow in that relationship. Because he wouldn't be able to serve and love other people as well. Just like it is possible for us to do something that looks selfless on the surface, like helping with the homeless, for a selfish reason, maybe that's making ourselves just feel better or whatever, Simultaneously, we can do something that on the surface looks more self-interested, but for the motive of loving God and loving other people. Think about it like planes and oxygen masks, right? They tell you you have to put your mask on first before you can help somebody else. Because if you run out of oxygen, then you're not going to help anybody. 
So it's very important that we do take care of ourselves. And a few things that I think with the motive of loving God and loving other people, here's some things you can do for yourself that will give you some life. Exercise Sabbath. I think it's so important for people to have a Sabbath. Have a set amount of time where you are not hurrying, you're slowing down, you're spending that time refilling yourself, recharging your battery, and spending that time with God. Also, therapy and or spiritual direction. I think it's really, really good for people to do work on themselves, to become healthier versions of themselves. One, because it just helps bring more life to your own life, which is great, but also it's going to help you love other people well whenever you know some of the baggage that you're carrying yourself. And also, I would say service. Service is actually one of the best self-care things you can do. There was a study done that showed that people who are only living like self-interested in terms of self-care, they're actually not very happy. But people who get outside of themselves and are a part of a good community and are serving specifically with that community, their happiness is like some of the highest that there is because there is something about serving and helping other people that connects us deeply into the heart of God. Because we look at Jesus, right? Philippians 2, one of my, that's my favorite passage in the whole Bible. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, emptied himself, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant. Because there is something about it that leads to human flourishing whenever we serve other people. So not only is it helping with the world, loving God and loving others, but it's also giving us personal happiness. And one other grain of salt that I do want to say as well is do not avoid doing a good thing because your motive isn't right or you're unsure if your heart's in it. Because if those struggling with addiction were only to stop their destructive habit whenever their heart was truly in it, people may never change, right? But sometimes after a series, a lifetime of really good decisions, what you can notice in your own heart is your own motivations and your appetites start to change. It starts to align more with Jesus. So if you're out of church here today just because you're making a family member happy or out of obligation or whatever, whatever reason it is, you're where you need to be. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you're here today. But making enough good decisions over time, it can change our appetites, it can change our desires and our motivations to be more in alignment with Christ. Thinking about, and some of y'all may feel this, I feel this about myself in my own personal faith journey. Whenever I first said yes to Jesus, it was purely out of fear of going to hell. I was like, I don't want to be there, I do know that. So it was a very self-interested perspective. But as I've grown in my faith, I have seen that that's not something that really drives me at all anymore. What drives me most of the time is I love God and I love people and I want people to know and love God because I know that's where the most life and freedom is found. And so I'm seeing God kind of over time change my heart to be more in alignment with that and I'm thankful for it and I pray that that trend continues and not diminishes. But back to one of the original questions, is it truly possible for a person to ever do an action that has zero self-interest or zero selfishness attached to it? I'm going to say yes, and I believe that's the end game. 
There's a parable, and the origin of this is a little bit debated. It describes heaven and hell as both being places without elbows. And you might be like, what? <laughs> so, all right, imagine this. You can't bend your elbows, right? So if you are in, in hell, whenever they would feed themselves, as the parable goes, they couldn't really do it. It's kind of hard. You have to, like, use gravity or something to make it work. You can't feed yourself very well. But in heaven, everybody is feeding one another. And it has this very interesting viewpoint. But I like that picture of heaven because it's kind of showcasing a world without ego. A world without selfishness. And could you imagine if every single person on this planet, if their heart was in full alignment with the greatest commands? That their motive, their desire was, I want nothing else than to love God and love my neighbor. Could you imagine what that world would look like? It would look like the church that Emily described last week in Acts 2, but on a global scale. There would be no needs among anybody. There would, people would not for one second question whether God loves them or whether other people love them. They would be in community and would never question it. There are so many beautiful things that would come. Like, we would take care of each other perfectly. There wouldn't be these awful hierarchies and these oppressions that happen. People would be quick to listen and slow to speak. Can you even imagine that in, in our world? But the thing is, even though that is such a compelling vision and it feels so far off, church, what's amazing is we can bring a pocket of heaven down here, right now, in this church, and in this community, we can have that same love that the early church had with one another. And the more that our hearts are ruled by pure love, the more the world around us will change. And not just in our perceptions, right? We'll be looking through the lens of love, and that will change the way that we see the world. But the actual reality of the world around us will change if we live with the motive of pure love of God and neighbor. But we have to examine our hearts. We need to identify the parts of our hearts that are still needing renewed by the Spirit because everything else is an overflow from the heart. So you might feel daunted, like, where do I start on this process? Well, it starts with awareness. And, I, and I'm going to encourage you guys this week, give this a whirl. You know, this might be, not be your thing, but it's, it's worth it. You could put up that next slide. Here's a little exercise to do to examine your motivations. Pick a span of time, whether that's an hour, whether that's a whole day, maybe at the end of the day as you're reflecting or you're journaling or something like that, but write down all the decisions that you can rem remember over a span of time. And then next to them, I want you to say what your motivation was for that decision. And you're probably not going to like the results, <laughs> at least at first, because I think quickly we're going to see our motivations are pretty selfish. But for the things that are good, give glory to God. That is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. But also for the parts that are more selfish, pray for God to heal those parts of your heart. And God is a father that likes to give good gifts. So make that be an active part of your prayer. God, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart. And over time, you're going to see that God is chipping away at you. So some of you might be like, oh man, my motivations might be pretty messed up and that's not good and Jesus has a problem with it and all that. 
I want you to hear me end with this. There is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God knows that you are a work in progress. God knows that we are not all perfectly where we are going to be. He understands that and realizes it. So there is grace. But it is important that we grow in awareness. And we pray for God to change our heart. And we start making good choices now. We start choosing things that might feel like pulling teeth. It's, that's why they're called disciplines, spiritual disciplines. Doing things that might feel really hard for us. But enough of a life of doing that, you're going to start seeing that your appetites start changing and you want nothing more than to just sit with God and be with him. So I pray that we can be that church today, fully about love. And I really believe right here, 4th Avenue, we could be a pocket of heaven for this community. And I want to offer an invitation for any of y'all. Uh, we're about to have a baptism. Toa Lamoda is about to get baptized here at the end of service, which is awesome. Yeah, um, that's exciting. Also, uh, we got some news from Philip King in South Africa. He had a baptism recently. He's one of the missionaries that we support there. So that's exciting too. Like this is just a, a picture, right, of God moving in all parts of the world. And it's awesome to be able to partner with that. So a lot of exciting things. But if you have any needs or desires going on today, I'm going to ask our shepherds and any prayer uh, team leaders to go around the room. If you have something that's going on in your life, if you're praying for repentance, for God to change your heart, I know I am praying that currently, um, then please, please do that. Don't hesitate. And if you want to celebrate or just walk with anybody, we'd love to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being a God that, that loves us and um, is so for us. And we pray that you are a good father a father that wants to be with us and delights in being with us. And I pray that you look at our hearts, give us, give us clear eyes to see our hearts and our motivations for what they are. And Lord, I pray that you perform some heart surgery. Give us your heart. Give us your heart for people and your eyes for people and your love for people. And help us to continue to be like Jesus and embody Jesus in all that we do. So that 4th Avenue can be a church that is a pocket of heaven, that people come here and they have no question about whether people love them and that they know their worth in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.